Bro, Malala's dad just followed me on Twitter. That's fucking cool. Like, um, I'm trying to work with a woman to change the world. And, like, she's a woman from Pakistan. I'm a woman from Pakistan. Two like, women from Pakistan. Three women from Pakistan. Like, let's <laughs> fucking do this. <laughs> um, I followed him first. I'm a little salty. I'm not going to lie to you. Like, I was really pulling in on in the Twitter world. And she just came through. Yeah. Um, if you want to hit me up with for some wisdom, follow at Tanya Khan on Twitter. Um, um, you're promoting yourself again right now? I am. I'm going to sponsor this ad. This, this episode is sponsored by by at Dear Natasha Khan. You can follow me on Twitter. In honor of actually um, promoting this episode, we were we were supposed to post on Sunday, but as we constantly talk about the importance of mental health, we have delayed it because, you know, we're here for a good time, not a long time. Speaking of here for a good time and not a long time, GameStop, actually, which, if you know, went insanely viral in the last few weeks with Reddit, with everything going on. Basically, sh- long story short, short get it long story Please short stop. <laughs> anyways um these had this the retail investors which is the people really went in and bought all, a lot of gamestop you can easily i want to talk about actually on another episode but they went in bought a bunch of it different agencies and different companies that actually sell like what is it robin hood wells fargo so many different kinds they limited users from buying more gamestop stock because they kept pumping the price and so hedge funds basically people got mad because they were like you're supporting the hedge funds you're like talking about how robin hood's for the people and all this stuff the people weren't allowed to basically buy and sell for a day which put a lot of people back by millions a lot of folks lost their life savings and you know people do say you should only play with the money that you can afford to lose but there's a lot of controversy around this their ceo has been in hot fire for this and has honestly in my opinion done a pretty poor job from a pr perspective on handling it you know what's crazy is i don't think robin hood actually expected to deal with this controversy because it kind of hit them out of nowhere and that's the crazy thing about startups and tech and the world of everything that's happening in silicon valley and all over the place so in honor of a chaotic week in tech we want to introduce someone who not only saved us a ton of money but who saved every college student and revolutionized the world of the textbook industry Co-founded and CEO of Chegg.com, he still is learning and figuring out how to innovate the education space and currently actually creating STEM schools in Pakistan to further that. The man, the myth, the legend, we call him the Wizard of Oz, but he's just really our bestie, Osman Rashid. TNT in the flesh. All right, most important question of the night is, have you seen the show Silicon Valley? Of course I have. It's an awesome show. I know a lot of people are into that. So how, the first first thing I just have to ask is you've been here for what, 20 years now? How similar is the show to the reality that you've lived in your entire life? Oh my God. You know, there are so many things I can think about as we were building Chegg, which you could make an episode out of a day of what was happening at, uh, while you're building a startup. Um, I'll give you one example. Uh, When we were initially looking to promote uh, Chegg on campuses. So we, you know, we had a whole team about, you know, F the bookstore kind of a thing. Mm-hmm. Right. And uh, we had to do some local marketing. And so we decided to go to the Stanford campus with a big, you know, three foot by eight foot poster saying F the bookstore, rent your textbooks. <laughs> and and we were walking around campus in front of the bookstore, you know, with the sign up and the students were like, oh, what is this? This is awesome. How do I do this? And then suddenly campus security shows up. They're like, well, you know, you guys can't do this in front of the bookstore. So you got to move. We're like, okay, fine. You know, like, sorry, we didn't know. 
we won't do it in front of the bookstore. So we wrap up the sign and we go to our car and we see them watching us drive away. And then we go around all the way around, come to the back side of the bookstore and we <laughs> stand up over there. And the guy shows up again. We said, you can't do it here. He said, you can't do it in front of the bookstore, in the back of the bookstore. And, you know, we got kicked off from Berkeley campus and things like that. But the whole planning around it, how we thought of it and how we like, yeah, we're going to go for it. And all those things would be completely hysterical if you went and saw what we were doing coming up with all this stuff. Uh, even, you know, there's so many other examples of uh, of something like this that we did. Even, even, you know, really boring ones. For example, competition, right? How... As we were building Chegg, Amazon was the king of used textbooks, selling them online. And look, the coolest thing is that this little startup out of Silicon Valley, within five years, forced every bookstore in America to rent textbooks. And we had this whole thing about Netflix for textbooks. You know, just like you can rent a physical DVD, by the way, before your time, you could <laughs> rent a DVD and then use it and ship it back. Right. So there was no online movie watching like streaming zero. Right. So we said, you know, it's like a Netflix for textbooks. You can rent your textbook, use it and ship it back to us. And everyone was like all investors were like, well, we don't know if you're going to survive because Amazon is going to do it. And we couldn't come up with an answer for it. Then, you know, uh, then it all came down to taxes. Now, that's one boring topic, but it actually became the reason why we figured out why Amazon wouldn't do it. And I'm sitting here with my accountant and he's trying to convince me that I should be, we should be paying taxes online, for charging people for taxes. And we're like, no way, Jose, I'm acting like I'm the expert in accounting. Which I'm not. <laughs> Again, that's really an episode to be built right there. And I'm trying to argue with him, which Amazon doesn't do it, then why should I do it? And he's trying to explain to me, well, because you rent textbooks and you're, they're really your property and if they go to another state and you have to pay taxes over there for the entire company. I'm like, so you're saying that if Amazon rents one textbook, the whole of Amazon has to pay taxes? They're like, yeah. I literally fell out of my chair because <laughs> I finally had an answer, right? So there's so many of these little things which happen throughout as you're building a company that I've seen, I love the show. And there's so many parallels that you can associate with your company or your startup you're building with, uh, right. with the show that it's hilarious. So for anyone who doesn't know, Silicon Valley is actually a show based off a CEO who makes his own company and you see the hilarious trials and tribulations he has to go through in order to get his company to success. So Usman Mamu here and for anyone who doesn't know, Mamu means uncle in Urdu. So basically he kind of goes through a lot of like these different episodes of Silicon Valley, the show in his own life and you kind of see and you'll hear the day-to-day -day, like, trials and everything that you had to face going through it. So I kind of had a question for you, and and that was, do you think that people kind of glamorize being a CEO? Like, or not even glamorize, but like romanticize the idea of it? Because I think a lot of people my age are trying to figure out what's the next big thing they can do, or like how can they be great, or how can they give back? Kind of what would you tell your, I guess, yourself in your 20s if you could go back and like start it all over again and anyone who has this way of thinking that you want want to be great and figure out how you can be like what would you tell yourself you know uh, i think the most important thing is the concept that i want to do something or i want to start something is i feel the wrong way to think about it is starting a company is a byproduct of wanting to do, do something which you're passionate about so what you really have to figure out is that what really gets you going and what problem is it that you want to solve? And, and solving that problem 
you happen to build a company, that's fantastic. That happens. But saying that, look, everybody can be a CEO for, I think, $295 on the internet. You can just go form a company, find science to pave it up. Next day, you're a CEO, yeah, right? Big deal. It's not that hard. But if you want to do something, you got to become passionate about it, even to the point where you can't stop thinking about it. Only then you even, once you're really into it, then you think about, okay, I should maybe build a company and get some more people involved or you have a co-founder. I also recommend being two because startups are very tough. And you have, the way I kind of describe it is the life of an entrepreneur is you wake up in the morning full of energy, I'm gonna go change the world. And then, then the day beats you down, kicks you in the gut and you crawl back to bed. And you wake up the next morning full of energy and the day beats you down, it's rinse and repeat. It happens a lot because, and you know, so that's what you really have to focus on that if you're passionate about it, you will be able to make your way through all the craziness that happens as being part of an entrepreneur. You're on a podcast with twins. <laughs> yes, we exactly. got each other. Two few, TNT. That's very so. true. Here we go. Asman almost. So where in life were you when I guess Chag kind of happened? Like what can you tell us a little bit about what you were doing in your career, what your mindset was and how that kind Prior. of came to life before all of this, before you even Chag was even a Chag became Chag, if you will. Yeah, well, um, so I was um, I was doing doing reasonably well. Um, I had uh, I was working in an enterprise software company, and um, I was in a good position, making good amounts of money. And uh, I still remember when I decided that I was going to go to Chegg. My father-in-law was probably going to be listening here. Said, "Are you crazy? Everything is going well for you. Why do you How want to go?" How old were you? How old were you at this point? Um, can you I give us 35. like a little background? Like you had a yeah, yeah. kids, you had a wife at the time. Like you were. Yeah. Well, give us a little bit more personal detail. Sure. As well. Let's go all the way back. Okay, right? love it. So, love it. So, so I um, came to the U.S. in 1989 when I was 19, and went to Minnesota. And uh, for all you young people, this might be shocking, but. In 18, 1989, there was no this thing called the internet where you could go <laughs> type in and say, how cold does it get in Minnesota? I mean, if I'd known how cold it gets, I don't think I would have gone there. But, you know, so I went to the University of Minnesota, did my undergraduate in electrical engineering over there. And uh, um, from there, I really wanted to, I almost had a thing for trying to do, um, you know, interesting things. Um, I became the head of the student organization for the Pakistani students. I'd come from Pakistan, as I said, and kind of enjoyed doing all that. Uh, even though I did my undergraduate in electrical engineering, I only spent three months working as an engineer because I actually found it very boring. <laughs> and, you know, then you say, hey, why did you choose it? You know, frankly, in our generation and our parents, we're like, either you're going to be an engineer or a doctor or maybe, maybe a lawyer. But, you know, the options are pretty limited. Yeah, so I never heard podcasts when I was growing up. Never heard podcasts when I was growing up. <laughs> yeah, exactly, right? So, so you know, and then, you know, once as a foreign student, you pay so much money. By the time you figure out that, oh, I really not too excited about this. It's too late because you put too much money to say, you know what, today I feel I'm going to do something else. That's, you really don't have an option as a foreign student. So you just power your way through it. And, you know, which is something I did. Then I joined a startup in, in, uh, in Minnesota. And I was lucky to land that job because the, the president, the CEO of the company, I mean, he had no real business giving me that job other than the fact that he felt maybe there's something here I should explore. And he asked me to 
take on a product that they were thinking of launching in the market and become the product manager and the engineer and the IT guy and the customer service and the sales guy, everything for it. I'm like, cool, let's see what happens, right? And again, you know, as a foreign student, you really have to get an H-1B visa. So you, when they get the visa, you, my God, you're going to work 26 hours a day, forget 24. You're going to make up hours, right, to, to work. And so I was doing that for seven years. That actually went really, really well. It got acquired by a South African company. And then I moved to Silicon Valley. I felt, man, I'm missing out on, on something happening West. And in typical, you know, startup style, I, I packed everything in my Jetta <laughs> and I went to California and I slept on the couch on, I guess, on my, in my best friend's uh, apartment in California for a month. Right. By the way, in Minnesota, I met the love of my life. Right. And so we, you know, so we've been together now for 30 years. So we love married, her. <laughs> married for married for 20, but together for 30. And uh, so then, you know, came to um, came to California and tried to start a company. And I did that and uh, it was going well. I raised some money. We were trying to build a product that didn't exist. And, you know, we had some customers. And then the whole Silicon Valley went boom in terms of uh, financial crisis in the Valley. I mean, and you know, there was a big boom. You guys might've heard about it in your studies in college, but that's about it, right? And then, so I left the job, joined this enterprise software company and then got the itch. I was there for another four years to you. Then I started, co-founded with Ayush uh, Chegg. So how old were you when you moved to Silicon Valley again? I was 30. So you were 30, you were in this country for what, like 10 years at this point, now, yeah. 12 years, something like that. So you're 10, fresh yeah. in the country, you're, you're here, you moved to Silicon Valley, you don't know what you're doing at all. You're sleeping on your best friend's couch, but you got the love of your life, which like you already so won. So you're winning, you you're really winning You now. already won. And now you're, now how did, so so when you say you and Ayush, like, and Chegg, can you give everyone like a little bit of a story of where, like, we know where you were now, but what actually became Chegg? Like, how did that actually start? Was it a ping in your head one day? Like a light bulb went off? Was it more of an opportunity? What is the, also, what is the the name itself? Like, that's a pretty fun story too. Yeah. Like, tell a little bit about that. Yeah, look, so, so Chegg is the combination of chicken or the egg. The dilemmas that I think many college students face that, you know, when you go and when, when you want to go get a job and they say, well, you don't have enough experience. We're like, yeah, how will I have experience if I don't have a job kind of situation, <laughs> right? So it was many, you know, that was the kind of concept behind it. So Czech was actually started um, in Iowa State University and it was actually called Czech Post. So it was not Czech itself, it was Czech Post and it was a college classified for people to buy and sell from each other. And it was started by a guy by the name of Josh Carlson at Iowa State University, who then met Ayush because he went to Iowa State University to do his uh, his undergraduate or his MBA. And uh, they met and then Ayush got involved in it. Then Ayush came to me one day, look, I'm looking at this thing and I was trying to help him. And they said, hey, it's interesting. Maybe we should all do this together. So then uh, from there, we started working on it and I put the first money on it, we incorporated the company, but Czech Post, which was the original thing, was actually shut down 18 months from, from then because it was a good idea. It was hard to get going back then on different campuses. There was too much effort on individual campuses to go and do something. And we restarted essentially the concept. Josh, by this time, had left the company and we decided that within the classifieds, the big thing was textbooks, people buying and selling books from each other. 
Mm-hmm. And then we said, why can't we think of something, you know, for textbooks? And then that's where the Netflix for textbooks came into, into an idea that, hey, why can't we rent textbooks? We're like, yeah, that's great. There's a, by the way, a whole HBO episode in there as well, how we came up with that. But, you know, so from, from there, that's when we, the check that you know today, that's when it actually really started. My first job in the U.S. was as a janitor, working at the University of Minnesota, and it was the basement. And oh my God, that's, those bathrooms are dirty down there. And, and it was, I still remember, you know, my, my boss at that time would happen to come around. My, it was an evening job at 11.30. Oh, guess what? You know, you didn't have to work on Saturday because this and this happened. They made the decision a few days ago. I'm like, no one told me. They're like, well, I'm telling you now. I'm like, but I could have made a plan if you had told me not supposed to come into work or I could have looked for another job because I need the money. So I even remember back then that, you know, because they're, they're not in the loop there's so many things which miss out because they also have to manage their life and work is so central to your life because you got to make money. Anyone can do this. This is not just, you're not special. It just requires grit. It just requires, you know, paying attention to what's happening around you. It requires, are you thinking through something enough and then trying out and being okay to fail, right? Frankly, this is doable by anyone. There's no real crazy rocket science special sauce here. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, as I was a janitor, I was cleaning bathrooms. I wasn't thinking of being a, you know, oh, I have an IPO. I didn't even know what IPO was. Right. Mm-hmm. So, but I was like, hey, you know, I'm going to do something. And what, but until I found passion about it, that's when I did it. Yeah, I was going to say that a lot of people our age are on this. I feel like they believe that you have to come from some, you know, super, super extravagant rich background have some incredible degree or many many degrees to do anything so it's nice to have a reminder that you know a common joe like mr oz over here can do it anyone can do it an amazing alex steve jobs was a simple ordinary family right i mean nothing special i mean he even you know i don't think he finished college right Mm -hmm. so it has nothing to do with a degree you have or you don't have it is actually everything to do about you and are you really care about something enough to go at it and not be afraid. What's the worst that can happen? Look, the sun will keep shining. Your parents and your siblings and your family and your friends will still love you. So that's okay. Yeah, and he's not saying this from a place, just as a reminder to our listeners, from a place where he has had an entire backup plan to fall on. He didn't have anything to fall on. He just took a chance and it kind of worked out. But what he's basically saying is like, you know, if it doesn't work out, it doesn't work out. It's not the end of the world. Look, I mean, even if you go back to from college, right? I had this degree in engineering and I could have tried to find a job and just say, you know what? I did this, I'm gonna stick with it and just gonna wait it is. I'm all, you know, wah, 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 right? Mm-hmm. And I could have just gotten a job and did it. I said, no, you know, I'm gonna, you gotta take risks though, right? You gotta be, you gotta have an appetite for risk. And uh, with risk comes some pressure, but then you break things down and you see, all right, I'm going about this. If there's something you don't know, then you find, find about it. And frankly, for your generation, it's easier than ever to get data and information. I mean, back then, I had to go to a library to go find stuff, right? Mm-hmm. Who would do that? No one would do that, right? Right now, you just could tap, 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 and you have an answer. Your guys' marketing, by the way, was so fire because it's like a, a giant orange box, like with the Chegg word on it, right? And when I was in college, Chegg had been pretty established. I think by that time you had left the company, but like it was ingrained in my blood. Like I was like Chegg die or hard, right? So whenever oh, I saw it, I would just like, <laughs> yeah, I would smile to myself because 
I think back in the day when um, you were, you were, I think at the beginning of Chegg a little bit early on, I want to say 2007, we were in Disneyland. And I don't know, you could, I'm going to let you tell this story, but like for marketing purposes, this man, like my entire family went to Disneyland in LA, um, Anaheim, and we were wearing like these giant white, like sheets that just say Chegg, like it's a huge family. So what about that? Like kind of what inspired that idea for marketing kind of, because that we have photos from that. And like, let me just tell you, they were not that cute, but we did it and we, and we supported it and, you know, Chegg went public and then that. So I'm going to let you kind of take that wheel and that story. Cause that was really funny. And you know, Pakistani families run really deep. So if you're going to Disneyland, there's like 30 of us running around. Yeah. So yeah, you know, look, I mean, so the, the whole idea was that, look, we were, we were broke entrepreneurs, right? We didn't have that much money for marketing. And we said, well, you're going over there. There are going to be a lot of parents because we were market, we were targeting parents because it's parents who really pay for textbooks. And we wanted to tell the parents, you will save money. You will save 60% of the cost of textbooks, right? And so we wanted to say, check with rent textbooks. That's it. And people were like, rent textbooks? How do you rent textbooks? And we just were trying to get the word out for people to just type the word check or rent textbooks and see what comes up on the web. And that's how we actually grew in terms of people coming on the web and searching for textbooks and then us trying to figure this out, um, you know, how to get the word out. So it was just those kind of things, like even going to the bookstore, right? But F the bookstore, that was just a marketing campaign to say that, look, you know, there's something different here. You could at least go check it out, right? right. So but it was the whole thing was, can we go and spark little itsy bitty things over here? Because eventually that's when people talk to each other and that's when a brand begins to grow. The coolest thing too was that so many and from what I'm hearing is that you can do so many little things in life to like gather interest and little sparks and like just gather them to a dynamite one day I think we even hand out free pizza for every signature that we are sign up for a check.com that we got to college students because all yeah. college students love free pizza we were in second grade guys we were in second grade we were in the east coast and I remember he was just starting in North Carolina at yeah, UNC and actually UNC yeah, yeah I mean I, I you know I'm, I'm a big believer in child labor so you know we said we get <laughs> Just kidding, just kidding. He's joking for the troll. You know, anything to get anything to get brown parents a discount, they'll jump right on board. So of course we had to we had to advertise to them. Yeah. I remember Natasha and I were running around like handing people like free pizza if you give us your email and a t-shirt. And we got so many signatures. And I think it's those kind of creative ways that probably we we might be the reason you were successful. Like we were the backbone of this whole family. Yeah, and you are and and your mom was such a rock star because she knew how to use cute little kids to get people to come come and sign up. So she was the brains behind brains behind the operation, right? The evil this genius. Was, this was in North Carolina, right? Or something yeah, like that. Exactly. She, and she was just such a thug because this one guy kept coming back and he wasn't a student, he was just a faculty member. And he came back and she gave him pizza. She he came back again, she gave him pizza. He didn't have multiple emails, so it was only one sign up. And then he comes back, and he's arguing with her about the jalapenos in the box. <laughs> she's like, Bro. he wanted like all 10 boxes jalapenos and she's just like are you okay sir like what's going on here because like it was just a lot and so basically jalapenos and pizza like that's how chicken or the egg was formed okay you know the coolest thing that i remember actually was one of your marketing campaigns and this is what you did the golden egg of the day and this golden egg of the day was like the coolest thing to obviously like a seven-year-old running around because it's just like so fascinating so can you tell us what that is like tell everyone what that is how that came to life and it was just so freaking awesome I love that because it was free stuff 
yeah and as kids too like from our view it was just so like it was so cool to just see like oh my gosh like what is this cool cool thing happening on the internet and then from your process actually doing it yeah look so it was a uh, this was in the days of check post and what we were really trying to do was uh, get people to come on the website and buy and sell things from us right and so we were using promotions to get, and we our servers would crash every time a golden egg was about to be launched you know it just boom right um, and it was a, it became a really really good marketing campaign for us because people like you said want free stuff but then they had jumped jump through some hoops to get there right so it would, it would all it was all it was all down to can we get people's inherent need and want for something for nothing but in in the same process can we get them to come check us out right. and will they stick around to continue using it and uh, the biggest challenge there was that your your listings tend to be hyper local right and we had a chicken and the egg situation in there as well that people would come and look at the website but to buy but there wouldn't be enough sellers to sell but if you don't have enough buyers the sellers wouldn't show up if you didn't have enough sellers the buyers wouldn't show up right right so so that was the whole you know we were trying to work through all of that during that time we were trying to say okay how do we get a lot of people to show up so even the few sellers that in there they're excited so uh, but that was the whole thing about there was to you know we were able to get people to show up uh, i mean this is i mean you were given away like before, free psps like i remember yeah, <laughs> yeah this is before this is before social media we're talking about 2006 right i mean social like media this... was there facebook was there but it wasn't rampant there was no twitter i think at that point it uh-huh. came in 2007 so it was pretty cool stuff that we were able to do to generate traffic But did you uh, ever, did but you? but you know you have, you have to have a sound business model to survive and we didn't have that that's why we shut down checkpost. So then oh, did you think checkpost was going did you like did you see no faith in it or did you kind of have a revival moment where you were like all right checkpost the craigslist of colleges is kind of going away now what was your revival moment where you're like how can we bring this back or was it never really dead? Well it it could have you know just um, it was a, it's a great idea to be a college classified to stay on college then a couple of things happened uh, then facebook decided to say oh maybe we'll do classified we like you didn't have anything else to do you got plenty <laughs> of stuff going on you had to jump in here by the way the funniest thing and i think facebook also realized this later on that college students don't actually really want their friends to know what they're selling because say you're selling a fridge your buddy wants it for $5 you think you can sell it for $20 they're like well why do you want $5 give it to me can i just take the couch yeah so, so students that you told us we don't want our friends to know exactly what they're selling because then they want a great deal and i could i want to negotiate hard with a random person and not feel guilty about it so when facebook tried it the reason classifieds have not really taken off over there in, in even in the early days was friends didn't want their friends to know what they were doing with all the what they were buying or what they were selling or they were looking for a roommate imagine you have a roommate you look for another one and you just friends on facebook they're like uh you don't like me anymore <laughs> right so, so wait that happened to me too yeah so so you know so but a lot of things were happening uh, you know it's a decision of many different things coming together first to say look uh right now anybody would say well facebook's doing it we're not going to invest in you it's going to be too hard we got to do something which would be really tough for anyone to do and but we really got passionate about textbook rentals because it came back to when i was a college student and i had come in 
as an international student and to pay $200 for a textbook. It was like, oh my God, how will I do this? On top of it, you take the book back to the bookstore, they give you 50 bucks for it. And then the next two minutes later, they sell it for $150. Yeah, they're like, fraud. this is a ripoff. It's a complete ripoff. And then we, then we figured out that, okay, you know what? The universities are making money from this. I'm like, okay, now this is fundamentally wrong. By the way, we planted 10 million trees in the process. We actually oh, said wow. we'll plant we'll plant a tree for every textbook you rent because you need you know you need use trees to come make up paper. We like we we'll, and we had we we actually at one point were the largest tree planter in the U.S. That's insane. What? That's I cool. Never knew that. Well, we wanted to do do well and do good. I mean, that's one of the my fundamental themes. With anything you do, you got to do well because you want to be a for profit business. You don't want to be at the mercy of anybody else. I, I, I do not want to, anyone to control my strings, but you can also do well, you can have a balance. And so it's important to do that. When we were doing no, this, uh, the second company after Chegg, we were supporting teachers in the classroom. We did half a million projects for, for teachers in different classrooms through a website called Donut Choose. Because we said, look, you know, we want to support the teachers uh, because they were paying too much money out of their own pocket for class supplies. We said, all right, we're going to try to fund them. And, and that's what we ended up doing. So I think you, a real brand has to be about doing well and doing good at the same time. And if every company really passionately did it, we won't have a lot of issues we have today. How did you get investors? Because you talked about not wanting any strings attached, but like when put, people put money into your company, right? There's some degree of invisible strings, right? How was the whole process of getting investors? What did that look like? You're like this fresh kid in Silicon Valley. You have this potentially huge startup, which could go flop or, you know, super successful. But what happened next? Like, how did you even get anyone to be like, oh, what, what is this guy doing and how can I get involved? Yeah. So I don't think of investors as strings attached because they're your partners. They're mm-hmm. part of you helping a company. No great company has been really built without investors getting behind it. When I say strings attached, I mean that, all right, you're beholden to the publishers or you'll be mm-hmm. beholden to the bookstore. So you really can't run a campaign because the bookstore will say, whoa, you can't do this. And then you say, oh, sorry, I won't do it, right? Mm-hmm. Because if you've taken money from a publisher, if you've taken money from a bookstore company and they will limit what you can do, that's when your strings are really start somewhere. Investors are your partners. Investors are amazing. They can do fantastic things with you. They really truly help you build a company if you work with them the way it's meant to be. Now there are every in, just like everything else, there are bad eggs everywhere, which spoil spoiled a lot. But overwhelming majority of investors want to do something fantastic. They want to do something good. But you know, so it it comes down to the individual people who started in the company. Where are their moral values, and how long do they are they going to stick to it? Because I agree with you that saying that I'll do good when I get there. You know get there is such an ambiguous term that what does it really mean, mm-hmm. right? If you if you can do small things as you're going along and everyone's doing it, it would be, it might have a huge impact, right? So it can be done. We did it. I mean, for this little company, we started to plant trees. And by the way, we would plant two trees because we knew 50% of the tree would die because only half the tree survived. We're like, well, we really want to make sure that there's a tree for this book. And the, the cute thing was, that college students began to call us and saying, can we name our tree? We're like, it's, it's kind of sitting in, you know, in Costa Rica, because that's where the, the pup was coming from. So we really don't have a tree. 
people like i want to name my tree joey and things like that we're like you know why don't you just imagine it in your head and name it but really can't really can't i would be one of the name on your I, would, tree. i would be one of the people to call you and be like can i name my tree yeah yeah so, so we had some investors with us who had given us money for check post mm-hmm. right and so we had just a little bit money left maybe 3 months of money left and we knew i mean i was honest with my investors that i didn't want to say oh you know let's keep doing this just to take the money i said look this thing is not working out and this will be a money pit meaning it takes a lot of money to do local marketing we have to you know here's what we come up here's what we've come up with and we worked with our investors on different ideas even the first model i put together you know the first person i met was with one of my investors who was a financial genius and a good businessman i said who was thinking about it, it was mike maples and uh, he's fantastic and he we sat down in our little conference room and i had put the model together and i said look i put this together i want you to poke holes in it tell me why this is all stupid all messed up and it's never going to work and no matter what angle we came up with we said look holy shit this is actually going to work right so but then from there we had to incrementally prove it we said okay i think this is going to work let's can we get 200 students to rent their textbook we said all right we don't have a system so ayush went to i was at university where he had knew a lot of people and he said hey guys you know we you know do you want to rent your textbook people to students for like what do you mean rent textbooks what is that how does that happen right and and people were like oh great and we would all right let's take you to the book so we're going to buy your books then you're going to give me this much money and you can take the textbooks like every student signed up so we went to the investors to say hey look so we did this and this was a reaction and i think this is going to work and hear the comments from all these kids they're like so you think this is going to work we like because we were really honest with them about the challenges so they really trusted us they never we didn't we didn't come across someone shady who's trying to sell them something else which may not work we were giving them real information and i was always saying any investors can walk into my company our company at any time and ask a question doors are open you don't have to schedule a meeting they show up right in okay. hardly ever came but the door was always open So you created a non-toxic environment then because I've heard a lot of founders don't do that they're not essentially transparent all the time. Yeah look I mean yeah it's it's a different philosophy right in a in a company which is working on security solutions or very proprietary information you have to keep it undercover. Mm-hmm. Or something like what we're doing was we wanted more people to know about it. Right? right. And you know and the and that's how we built it incrementally then we said all right guys we need a little bit more money and the current investors gave a little bit more money to now to try to rent to 500 kids and we did that the next semester and then we said all right guys this is working we should get 2 million more dollars right now the investors were actively trying to uh, help us because everybody was like well why didn't anyone think about this i mean why couldn't this be done before i mean like that's a crazy thing but the answer to real answer to that is that it was done before and it failed miserably because there's a right time and a right place with the right team for everything so just because something was tried before does not mean it can it's going to fail again because back then you didn't have the technologies to make it easy to do i couldn't pick up pricing of every book on the internet i could didn't have ups tracking in 2000 in, in the year 2000 in 2007 i did so i could track a book as a kid goes where's my book they click on the link and this see it's about to be delivered right so all these things that come in in place technology had come in to allow us to do certain things which we were able to do so if there was something which was tried in 1990s or early 2000 and didn't work there's no reason why it won't work now because times have changed 
when you actually were going through it, like you had this pressure of already being an inter- I'm going to go back a little bit. You had the pressure of being an international student on you because for anyone who doesn't know, being an international student in another country is very, very challenging to get a job or work or, or anything with visa, right? And your green card. So it's very challenging. So you had that on you, right? Like you had the whole brown mentality of like trying to make it or whatever, be passionate about what you're doing. But how was your mental health and how did you kind of like any kind of realization you had within doing all of this? Like it must have taken small burden on you. Look, you know, it's a, it's a matter of perspective, right? I mean, I can tell you that some people who may have worked with me, it's completely say, oh, this guy was crazy. Or some people could say, well, he was pretty calm. It's, it, you know, you look at people through the lens of your own mind, right? Mm-hmm. So, so it's very hard to, because I can have a, a viewpoint of my own self, but somebody may look at me and say, oh my God, that was one highly strung CEO, right? But I felt I, I was never too, um, uh, too stressed out about it because I look so, there are a couple of tricks that you have to do to get through it because there's a lot of stuff coming at you. Mm-hmm. The fundamental way to approach everything, and this is not just about the startup, it's about actually your life, that can you break things down into what's really the core essence of something and work your way backward from there? Because the moment you, you get to the root of something, you can now put an action plan to do something. Because I believe stress at the end of the day is a lack of action plan about something that you must do. If you, The brain needs steps. It needs things to break down. So we would, we would, I mean, I would say, okay, I want to do this, but okay, so what are the things I really don't care about all of this stuff? What's really in there that has to work? Otherwise, this is a bad idea. And you break it down to that core thing, and then you start working back from it. Now, once you have a plan and you've got steps, you've got data coming in, I tried this, didn't happen. I'm going to try this, didn't happen. Your brain feels, okay, did I give it my best shot? If I gave it my best shot, it didn't work. It wasn't meant to be, shit happens, you move on. But when you, if you're stressing about something, oh my God, I got to do this. And, but you really don't have a plan or how you're going to approach it or what you're going to do about it, who you're going to talk to. Well, you will be a stressful person, right? Um, because it's out of your control. Think of it like going hiking. To get to the top of the mountain, you got to take the first step. You got to get mm-hmm. to the first ridge. You got to get to the first mile. And that's what all these things, I, that's how this high, appro- how high approach everything is that look, just break it down and stuff will fall in, in its place. If it doesn't, then why didn't it do that? And then have another go at it because failure is completely okay. There's nothing wrong in failing, but don't just take ever failing. You know, if you didn't learn from the failure, then, then you weren't really smart about it. And the only time people would see me kind of pissed if there were employees said, you know, um, you know, he's tough on me, is okay, we're gonna all make mistakes. But if you're gonna make the same mistake again and again, uh, 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 because then we didn't learn anything the first time and dude, what are you doing in that chair doing this job? Because you're not paying attention to what you're doing because startups don't get many shots, right? Yeah. So that's when I get irritated. Don't keep screwing <laughs> up, you screwed up fine, but don't keep doing it. Don't make the same mistake no over and over guys. Like, come on, get it together. What are you doing? Like, Oz is gonna you come get- down with you. You want to get the Wizard of Oz mad, just you know what to do now, everyone. You got your arsenal. <laughs> exactly. So you built Checkout with Ayush, who's, by the way, guys, I don't think we mentioned this, but that was his co-founder at the time. And you guys built it out. You got it to where it was. And then what was the point where, because right now you're not at Checkout anymore. So what was kind of your transition out? Why did you decide to leave? Or why did you decide to pursue other ventures? 
You know, so um, uh, you really need to know yourself that what really gets you going. Because my idea was not to be, I want to be a CEO. And, mm -hmm. I would, you know, my passion is to actually build fun stuff and take and solve the business problem and take it to the next level. Because, uh, you know, for me, having a big CEO a team, lots of execs and de dealing with people issues, that's not my passion. Mm -hmm. And the, the worst thing many founders do is they can't get out of their own way of the company that they've built for it to be successful. And I looked at it like if I were to hire a chief marketing officer, well, I'm going to hire someone who, at, at that stage of the company right. where it's now, um, you know, it's, it's grown up, right? It's when I left, we had like 700 employees. We did $50 million in the first quarter of the year. So we had figured out, nailed down a lot of these things. And I felt that there was a person much more suitable, much better, much more better than me at this current state of the CEO job that this company needs. And, and we hired Dan Rosenzweig. Uh, he's a brilliant guy. He really, really uh, you know, knows how to build teams. And he was fantastic at that, right? And, and you know, so when he, when he joined on board, you know, that's a great thing for the company. But the other thing is that if the founders stick around for too long, you know, what ends up happening is many of the employees are always looking towards the founder for guidance and you really don't give the CEO the chance to need. And so I even came off the board because I was like, look, it's, you know, I'm moving on and they're going to run the company and I'm going to do whatever I want to do next that gets me going. Mm -hmm. And that's that. It's really not that complicated, but I think I did an interview back in 2009 when Czech was still going at USA Today. Even then I told them that I don't see myself being the long-term CEO of the company. I think there's going to be someone who's going to be really more qualified to do this job and they should do it. Okay, so it was a matter of putting your ego aside too, or not even having an ego, because it's not about the yeah, ego. It, it shouldn't be because it's really about who is the best person uh, for this job and because you have to be you have to think if you're going to evaluate other people's jobs that you report to you well right. who's going to evaluate you and many times the times the board won't come and you know do that to you unless you're really screwing up because they don't want the founders to leave so the founders i think really have to step in and analyze themselves and there's many founders who would be awesome ceos right i mean obviously there are just like jeff bezos like amazing amazing right but he was maybe into it i wasn't mm -hmm. I have a funny story. I don't know if I've ever actually told you this. Um, when I was in college, and I'm just gonna make a, like a fun little Chegg story out of this. I was in a com I did computer science, and I was in a computer algorithm class, and I was um, I think two of fifty females, right, in this class. And you know the computer science like kind of vibe that people engineering type of personalities there are back in the day, my day, which is not that long ago. But um, so I was sitting in this computer algorithm class, British professor, super sweet guy. I love this guy. And he's like, okay, this, this, we have a midterm and we're about to, we're taking the midterm. It's open note, right? Which with the presumption that we're going to have integrity and not, you know, go to outside sources from what we have. And so we take the midterm, whatever it closes. The next class this happy British man comes into the classroom and he's fuming. He's angry. And I'm just like, who hurt him? Like what happened? And so he comes and he, and he says, he's like, I found out that a few of you that you guys have betrayed my trust and we're like how do we betray your trust right and he goes someone cheated on my midterm and like we're just like oh wait like I don't understand what you're saying and it was just so funny because someone had actually gone on five different people had gone on and posted about like on on the Chegg study thing 
and had posted about like the, the exact question on the test, right? Which is not the point of Chegg at all. And so they went during the midterm and he is a British man. So his English is very proper. Us Americans can't compare, but like they use his exact British question on check so there was no way that no one could have made they copy pasted the midterm and put it on check and then people answered the questions during the midterm right so he's so upset and so mad and this guy next to me literally turns to me and like the face and goes was it you and i was just like yo (laughs) no one no one and i just laughed because i'm just like number one if i did i wouldn't get caught and number two it's like i didn't do it and three it's like I'm laughing because it's Chegg like I'm just like sitting there like literally laughing to myself that it's Chegg and they look at the one girl in the class they're like did you do it I'm like no like homie I did not do it but it was just so funny and I don't even think I ever told that story because like I was internally just like laughing at five different points of what was occurring in that classroom and then those five people fessed up to it and like we broke our they broke our professor's heart and he was such a good man we bled orange since we were young yeah come on you can't come from loyalty goes deep yeah, it's, a, it's an interesting topic. And what I would say is that with the evolution of technology, I think professors and universities need to step up the game a little bit more. Uh, I had a professor, and this is when I was in college, and he would say, you know what, I'm, when you get my quiz, you can bring a book, you can bring whatever the hell you want. But unless you understand what, what this question is, you will not be able to answer it. I mean, in his class, a score of 62 was an A, right? Because because his whole approach was, look, if you've understood what I've taught you, this question, you'll only answer it then, right? You could, you could. we didn't have the ability to go post on the internet, but I don't think even if you threw it over to someone to answer this, they wouldn't be able to answer it in time for that class, right? So it, it comes down to something like this. But look, I mean, the way education is evolving is even in primary, you're encouraging collaboration. You're encouraging people to work together to come up with a solution because that's what it's going to take. There won't be an, one individual person who's going to go do everything. Majority of the stuff doesn't happen like that. You, you mm-hmm. need teams to get you there, right? So the, so the whole notion is that as part of your education process, right? I mean, it has to be collaborative. I mean, the way you do a test has to be maybe done in something which requires multiple people in the classroom to do work together on something. Mm-hmm. How do you set up a rubric to evaluate versus just ABC because you answered eight, 10 questions. So I think with evolving technology, we are going to a transition there as well where teachers and professors will have to come up with a better rubric to say, how should we assess a student versus just saying, hey, 90 is an A, 80 is a B, or we'll do a curve, and that's it. I think it, there's an evolution that's coming that which technology will force them into it. And uh, if it was not Chegg, it would be anybody else that, you know, building products, which look, some students may misuse for what they were not meant to be. It happens all the time. Mm-hmm. It happens in every product, in every company where users don't use it the way it's meant to be. But that's where the, the chance of innovation comes in. Like the whole company could turn it in. Turnitin as a company has been designed to stop plagiarism. Well, because it's rampant, it's everywhere. You designed a company around it to do it, and that's, it solved a big portion of the problem. So innovation always comes when there are people who are bursting at the scheme, at, at, at the edges, using the elbows to go out the system. And then it gets bigger, and the technology comes in and adapts to it. It's just an evolution that we have to go through um, as for technologies and and things like that, it's just part of growing up as a 
civilization, I guess. You know, I'll give it though. Students are really smart when they want to be lazy. <laughs> and so they'll, they'll find a way to get around anything. Like, for, like, even like, like you said, any system can have issues within it. Like check, turn it in. Like people can do things that aren't messed, like necessarily meant to be doing in that product. But it's funny because like, I commend people for their creativity when it comes to like, even zoom classes and what they're doing now with online education. It's like, if you didn't realize like how important it would be being able to have access to online education, especially in this pandemic, it's like, whoa. And I see some of the crazy things on TikTok and social media that students are doing to just like survive. And I'm just like, wow, like probably not the best thing to be doing, but like commend you for your creativity and trying to solve a problem. Like, yeah, look, I'm, I completely, I completely agree with you because the student is really not interested or engaged in the topic to begin with. That's why they're going and doing all this crazy stuff around it, right? Mm-hmm. So the, the the challenge is that, okay, how do you come up with a platform, a system that grabs the attention of most of the students so they don't go around doing it? And for the students who are doing it, you know, like, I mean, I would say that there's certain level of creativity, a certain level of entrepreneurism in the whole thing, to be honest, for them to go do it. They could be the entrepreneurs of the future for all we know right? They're just stuck in a class which they have to go through. It's a requirement and they're not interested in the topic but the system is saying you must suffer through it. And so they say, all right, you're going to do this to me. I'm going to do this to you, right? <laughs> yeah, you so, were like putting a bandaid on a, you're putting a bandaid on a bigger wound. Like the wound is like there being a problem with what you're inherently teaching versus just being like, oh, I'm, you're, you're collaborating and cheating. So like technically like that's wrong, which I guess yeah, is I mean, look, look, argument. We, we would, look, we would have some professors who would literally come talk to the board literally right on the board, talk to the board and walk out. I mean, like, um, I didn't even hear what he said, right? I mean, it even I bet it even happens today. We had some professors who were just amazing, wonderful teachers who were really passionate about it. And you would have to wait semesters to get into their class, quarters yeah. in our system, right? Because they would be always booked ahead. And they were professors, like, people like, oh my God, do not take that class. Yeah, rate right? my professor. So really look, uh, yeah, so, so it's, it's always the case. It happens every time. And the system, the universities have to work with Silicon Valley and technology providers to say, hey, look, we need to kind of think about the future. And guess what? These are institutions of learning. If they're not going to adapt and learn and do the next thing, what are they doing there to begin with? They're, you, they're not really adapting to the future. Do you think look, they're so doing it? Every, you know, I will tell you, there's no blanket rule that no one's doing it or everyone's doing it, right? There's mm-hmm. always pockets of people who are doing more than others pockets of people who are doing less than others. They're all trying to move it move it forward. Um, I would say that, you know, they in universities need to invest a little bit more. Every professor should have a couple of TAs, two or three TAs to help the students. They should be in the classroom to kind of see, okay, the students kind of really not paying attention and figure out how to get them to have interest in the topic, right? So the, the process has to be thought of a little bit that, you know, there has to be, look, human beings give a lot more from the body language than what they say. And if you, if your instructor who's looking at the board doesn't even turn to see what the classroom, half of them are sleeping and doesn't even care, right? I mean, that's going to be a problem. So there has to be a fundamental shift that, all right, we really have to see students which are engaging. How do we engage them more? And the ones who are not, what are we going to do about them? How do we help them find their passion? So the current system, the way it's designed, you're going to do tuck, 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 graduate even that has to be disrupted to a certain degree on how you really approach the whole topic, right? 
uh, more and more people are saying, you know, the college degree really doesn't make sense. Tesla and uh, Google, now they're even saying you don't even need the college degree because yeah. people have figured out the person who loves cybersecurity is going to go in and ask cybersecurity, learn how to program, learn how to do this. We're going to bring them in. We're going to help them get better. But you know, don't need a computer science degree if you're really passionate about it. As long as you can come in and you can show, you can do it. So I think 20 years from now, this thing will begin to change. Even the pandemic has really helped move the system along. The UC system in California has now said that you really don't need SAT or ACT scores. It's your application that's going to matter. Now people will have to sit and read the application properly. Before what would happen, and I know it happened that even at a place like Stanford, that if you have a certain SAT score, you make it to the shortlist and then they start reading your application. I mean, how sad is that? You could have an amazing student who did not have the SAT score, not, uh, not make it through. And they would have been amazing for the institution because they could have been a great fit. So, but the system has to figure out that if you're getting 10,000 applications and they only have 10 people to review them, that's also not gonna work. Then of course, yeah. they're gonna have to figure out a way to how do you decrease the funnel? So all these things have to be worked on. A lot of people are doing a lot of good things and it's incremental. It's not gonna be overnight because it, these things take time. They will take a generation, but we'll get there because we're moving towards it. So what were you looking for? What, like when you're at this point of trying to figure out your next steps, did you just leave? What was your, what was your thinking about it? Like, you're like, you've done this thing now. You've kind of had your aha moment. What did you start next? And why did you start it next? So the next thing we started was we were building a tablet before the iPad came out. And we said, look, you know, all these book bags, man, they're 35 pounds. This, by the way, they're still there, unfortunately. Our, they really hurt build, your back. Yeah, yeah, we wanted to build a tablet for kids in education. So you don't need your big, big bags because every textbook is so expensive. So we were trying to take it, take the next step of evolution uh, where we said, okay, all right. It's not just about textbooks anymore, how you learn, how you take notes, how you do everything. It should belong. It belongs in a slick little thing in your hand. And um, that's so we were really trying to build for all of students, not just college students on textbooks. We wanted to take it much, much further. And um, that's where my co-founder, Barber, who is, you know, who met ninth grade and he was my, he came to college together with us in Minnesota. He was my roommate and we said, hey man, this would be so much fun to do because he's, you know, he's a really smart guy, hardware, software guy. We said, let's go do it. And we had an amazing time um, building the tablet, which unfortunately, three days before we were supposed to ship, we didn't ship it because the iPad was announced six months ago and it was all about the iPad. I mean, it was all oh. about Steve Jobs and you can forget about wow. everything. No one would give you, no one would touch you. No one would give you money. You know, at checkpoints, it was like, well, Facebook's going to do it, right? So, you know, in the interesting way, we came up with interesting ideas, take forward, but then the big guys keep jumping in, right? So how'd you pivot then, from the iPad launch? So you're, you have this, so you go from creating rental textbooks. Now you're kind of creating another company where it's all your textbooks in this tablet. And now Apple competitor has for yourself, basically. right? Yeah, kind of funny. And Apple now has launched, and they're saying we're bringing out iPads. This was the first version of iPads before they existed. So now you're probably just looking around, like, what the hell do I do now? What did like? Where was your mind at? What were you thinking? What happened next? Yeah. So look. So um, we wanted to build something not just for college students, but for all students, especially uh, in in middle school and high school, and even you know I think fourth, fifth grade upwards. So it was really about 
taking it to a broader market and you know and do that so when uh, when apple announced the ipad it was it became a challenge for us only because the entire market and and then android decided to follow suit they announced 60 different tablets at ces it's a big computer electronic show in vegas and i went there i'm like oh my god everyone's making a tablet and they have so much money will never survive with with the hardware because no one would invest in this right now because they'll say just use somebody else's tablet and the biggest problem was that so we did have to pivot we shut down the hardware intel bought the whole uh, sorry no so we invest we got investment from intel uh, for the company and uh, we said okay we're going to continue building the software which is what we were building as well on top mm-hmm. of our hardware because we're building the whole platform and we're going to go with go forward with that because no one would invest money into a hardware company when google and microsoft and all these guys now everybody went dell and samsung everybody was talking about tablets right and they all wanted to do it so why did but intel invest so well intel we had a lot of strong ip intellectual property in the product intel education is huge was huge back then they were doing big deals across the world and they could see the way we had built the platform they could take it to governments and say look here's an education platform you can deploy in your in in your in your country so the, but the challenge that you know we knew something fundamentally that what we had built was so specific for education with the right kind of writing and everything that's not going to show up for quite some time and even apple i think was 2019 when they really refined the pen enough where you could actually write properly on a tablet right mm-hmm. we had an amazing experience in 2010 2011 uh, for from the hardware perspective but building a company requires hardware requires a lot of investors with a lot of money and we knew that that was something that was not going to go forward because there was now this sucking sound in the valley of money going out of hardware because mm-hmm. and because this was that then amazon jumped in too with the kindle you're right? back <laughs> so you know so it was it was exactly so it was it's one of those things where where you know stuff happens what do you do about it and sometimes it works sometimes it doesn't and you know were you stressed out now Oz? did the stress start no, creeping no not at all <laughs> not all i'm having a great time uh, i'm still busy building and right now i'm trying to build a couple of things uh, one is a an education system in pakistan to uh, to allow kids to really think about a problem how to solve it and and in this case instead of doing something just a purely digital we actually built physical schools but we owned the curriculum everything ourselves because i really wanted to get fundamentally in there and come up with a way which you know really delivers a great education experience which helps the kids actually learn how to solve a problem how to tackle something because the problems that the next generation is going to face are climate change food food shortage and a lot of these things and the kids of the next generation have to be problem solvers right so the trend right now is there's a thing called concept based learning which instead of trying to get you to memorize they try to get you to understand what you're doing how to connect to the world around you and how do you go about understanding it and solving it so today in a place like pakistan the concept based learning is really for the 0.1% for the elite yeah the i really remember really rich kids the the really the really you know rich kids who are probably going to leave the country and go overseas uh and and may not come back so the idea was that okay how do we bring concept based learning to a price point 
uh, where it's for the middle class and, you know, or I would say for any parent that really wants a kid to be ready for the, the upcoming, you know, job market, which 20 years from now, nobody knows what it's going to be. Just mm-hmm. like we didn't know there was going to be IoT in 1998, right? 1999. Right, right. So we're building that entire education platform with our own curriculum, how we train teachers, everything. So we are just having, we opened it up in 2019. And uh, we, um, we, we had the pandemic, but even with the pandemic, we feel we've made amazing progress where we are ahead of our plan where we are supposed to be right now. And the, and the biggest thing is that from the product perspective, as I was saying earlier, if you build the right thing, it's going to stick around. The parents love what we're doing. Mm-hmm. We get compliments from them all the time uh, that it's, um, you know, my kid was not confident before, but now they come and have a conversation with us on any topic because we really focus on kids' communication. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's, it's called SOAR STEM schools. It's, uh, it's based in Pakistan. And then besides that, the other thing I'm working on is in the enterprise software market where I have a good experience as well. And what we're over, doing over there is that, you know, the, the way we communicate as consumers has changed over the last 10 years, mm-hmm. it, in at least for people like me, it went from email to Facebook and Twitter. And now, you know, you guys are experiencing Snapchat and TikTok and all these different tools out there. But the same people like you are now going entering the workforce and you're like, uh, what is this email thing? I want tools which look similar to what we are used to, right? Because the next generation is coming in. So it's really working. So it's called Convo, uh, as in conversation, convo.com. And the idea there is that we are trying to build the tools which are similar to social media, but designed for a company to keep uh, inside their organization. So all the information, all the data remains secure. So employers are not putting your information on social media tools because that's how they want to communicate Then end up putting stuff over there. So the idea is to give them those tools for them to use and uh, build a big business out of it, especially for employees who do not sit at a computer called the deskless or the remote employees. And there are 2.2 billion of those across the world. And we are trying to come up with a real solution for them. So they are now part of the company, part of the culture. They feel information is coming and they're not stuck in a corner somewhere just because they're on the go. Mm -hmm. This really begins to help them just stay in the picture that, okay, there are certain things happening, certain communications and even opportunities for growth inside the company, right? I mean, there could be jobs being posted and you could say, hey, if I knew that job was they're hiring in that area, maybe I can prepare for it and go for an interview, right? There's so many things which they get left out of the loop on. And that's the whole idea behind it that, hey, let's, you know, let's not treat, treat them as second-class employees. They're the same. Frankly, your deskless employees are the one who keeping Starbucks going mm-hmm. and Home Depot going and Costco going. These companies right. would be nothing without them. So, I mean, even think about like the pandemic, like they're technically quote, the frontline workers, like where yeah. were all these, all of the stock markets doing amazing, right? Which is the, all the companies doing, tech is really doing really well, but where would you guys be without, where would they be without like your physical employees doing the work, right? And you're right, Absolutely. they are treated like second class citizens. So it's like kind of like nice to see someone who cares enough to like bridge that gap and be like, let me provide you guys the opportunity too, because hey, not, I'm not quoting this, but like from you were first job was a janitor and then all the way from like where you are now, like that's like, that's quite a path too that people will definitely resonate with as well because where you start is not where you end. And I think that's super important to remind people. Also, I think that too, like just to like kind of put them in a nice little bow, if you will, like the lessons from Mr. Oz, Wizard of Oz over here. 
I think that if you're not evolving, that's the first thing. Like you always have to be looking towards the future. If you're not evolving, you're already losing, in my opinion, at least. Number two is like, if you're not looking towards like being creative with your means, they, one of my friends said a bad carpenter blames his tools. And I just like think that's very, very valiant advice because you can do yep. anything with what you have. And I just think that's like, you're a pure example of doing that too. Me and me and TK over here, which I like to call Don, Tanya, um, we just like, are so many different people in our family are so so like beautiful people and like you're you're one of them and you have a different story and someone else has a different story and it's just like we love our family so much but not because they're just our family and blood is thicker than water and all that but it's literally because we see the different tactics and tools they take to actually get to where they need to be and how they support and also give back and I think that's the most important thing about being a member of this global community in general as human beings that you should just take an active conscious effort to just do better than what you were doing before. I just think you do a very, very good job at that. So thank you for doing that as well. Hey, thank you so much. But and I'll say there were teams and teams of people who did this. And uh, you know, there were some amazing people who did a lot of things. And my job is to open a door. People have to walk through the door. And and that's what so many amazing people did. And they built these companies, right? Yeah. I just happened to be the lucky guy to to be along for the ride. So teams groups of people build something no founder no one ceo no one can do this alone it's just not possible there's too many things you just got to bring passionate people who care about what you're doing they care about it because they believe in the problem and you got to build a team and off you go don't if you're already just wanting to be a ceo or wanting to fix a problem or do something you're starting in the wrong approach like you got to be passionate about it you got to want to do it that's like the biggest call for me because i know a lot of people are kind of looking around, like, I want to do this. I want to have this company. I want to, you know, have this clout. And I think that's where they already are started off because Osman Rashid over here, he didn't even, he was just chilling. Like he was just trying to figure it out. He didn't even want to do any of this. And then he even backed away from it. Then that was his own journey. But just to remember that if you're trying to go look for something, you may have a little bit more difficulty, like having it come to you. Cause those things typically happen a little bit more naturally. So it's it it's not just a team at uh, work. It's it's your team at home too, right? Yeah. So I mean, you, so many people in the family who help you, uh, giving feedback. You know, any 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 time you try something new, you kind of send it to family. Hey, what do you think? Do you mm -hmm. like it? So in a way, so many people help with so many things. So, um, you know, bottom line is you're never gonna get there on your own. And you know, the amazing people around you, and you just leverage them and uh, make sure to give credit where it's due. I think that's really important too, because a lot of people try to go on this journey and they try to think it's like all about what their drum beats to. And I think they forget that it's really about your support system as well. And it has a lot more value than people think. Everyone thinks it's this, not everyone, but a lot of people I've met think it's this independent journey to get there. But there was like 50,000 people behind like, you know, the curtains helping people get to where they want to get to. Oh yeah, absolutely. No doubt about it. And on a final note, if this man's biggest accomplishment is in his companies, forget all of that. It's his eggs. Like he he makes really fire omelets. Like you would have thought that's that true. Egg, he produces, became a chef, but like he makes really good omelets. And if you have the luxury of having one, like that's what should be the top of the resume. I'm right under that and wizard. If, and that's if you all made we, it, that's all if we you, associate with him. If you made it this far to the, if you made it this far into the podcast, and like you're all invited breakfast on him. He'll be making eggs for everyone. <laughs> so come yes, through, pull absolutely. up. Absolutely. <laughs> I'll make custom eggs for everyone. <laughs>
There we Custom go. Jalapeno cheese. We love that. We love a man who can cook. Yeah. Awesome. Uh, we love you too. Thank you for coming on, for sharing your knowledge and wisdom, and just being another part of the people to trail the path for everyone. The concept else. journey. Yeah. Thank you, Oz. I love you guys. Thank you for having me. This was a nice. lot of fun. <laughs>